0: But I was filming him and he, he had no shirt on, he had this like skull mask thing on, and he's like, Yeah and there's like bulls exploding behind him and I'm like, Cool and like let's go and he's like, Yeah, yeah, Mexico and I was like Go, move. And he was just like still like staring at me yelling and the camera was down and I was like, bro. And I went to go grab him and the buck, the bull hit him from behind and the bull fell over and the fire. And, and I, that's, that's how people die in the festivals oh because they don't pay God. attention. They're drunk. They get hit by a bull. The bull falls on them and then they just get torched or something.
1: Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development and business advice from our guests. Hi everyone, Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about another podcast that you should definitely subscribe to. My friend Mikkel Thorup is the host of the Expat Money Show, a top-rated podcast for people like you who love to travel, are looking for more freedom in their lives, and who are curious about living abroad and the expat lifestyle. With more than 100 episodes to date, Mikkel goes deep into topics like offshore citizenship, banking, and investing. Mikkel is one of the few people I've met in this space who definitely knows what he's talking about. He's traveled to more than 100 countries in the last 20 years and lived in eight of them as a full-time expat. The Expat Money Show is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere popular podcasts are found. There's a new episode every single week, and previous notable guests have included Jim Rogers, Doug Casey, John Perkins, Grant Cardone, and yours truly, Kristen Wilson. Subscribe to the Expat Money Show today, and make sure to catch Mikkel's episode 71 of Badass Digital Nomads on how to live, work, and invest offshore. And now, on with today's show. Hi fam, it's your girl Kristen Wilson here, and welcome to episode 92 of Badass Digital Nomads. Today, you are going to learn how to fight the fear and do it anyway from the fear expert himself, Mike Corey of the YouTube channel Fearless and Far. Mike is a former biologist turned travel host who used to live in a cockroach infested apartment in Canada where he had to share a bathtub with a 70 year old man. TMI, I know, stay with me here, but now he has his own travel show on the BBC. Not bad. Today's episode is packed with travel tips and stories from Yemen to Europe to the Philippines, but you know how we roll here. It's also grounded in practical advice that you can apply in your life today. If I had to sum up Mike in one sentence, I would say he's like Bear Grylls, Anthony Bourdain, the crocodile hunter, and a stoic philosopher all mixed together, but 100% his authentic self. Mike has seen and done some crazy stuff in his travels and you're gonna learn all about it right now. Enjoy. How many years were you traveling and living this lifestyle before the pandemic happened? And then how did you adjust this year?
0: Yeah, I've been doing this. I've been traveling for 10 years. I've been doing this job professionally, like full-time career for about seven now. And that's changed over the years, what exactly I was doing. In the beginning, it was travel filmmaking, so I wasn't really on camera. And then it was more photography, landscape and things. And then it shifted more into YouTube where it's it's the channel. And now I do more TV uh, and also still YouTube. And it was just, the, the pace was becoming faster and faster and faster. And I, I almost became, I wouldn't say, well, actually, I'm not almost addicted. I was, I am addicted to to the pace. Often I equate this life to being on a speeding train, holding on with two fingers, just barely being able to keep up. And just to understand, like before the pandemic kind of shut the whole world down in early March, I kicked it off in Mauritania doing train hopping in the Sahara. There was an iron ore train that locals ride that people can ride too. And like, where the hell is Mauritania? <laughs> it's a anyway, a country in, in West Africa, one of the least touristed in the world. And then from there, bounced over to Bangladesh where we went hunting with some tribal groups and then went over to Bangkok to do uh, some Sakyant tap tattooing uh, with like the giant sharp sticks. And then went over to uh, Argentina and Brazil with BBC. So even before March, I'd already been to, I think, 10 countries or something just in those few months. And that's that's how it's been. It's been eleven months of the year for the most part. Uh, I I was living in Mexico City for a while. I love Mexico and I love Mexico City. Um, partly because everyone thinks they they know Mexico and they they know Mexico City, for example. But most of our impressions of that country are Tex Mex. They're they're unfounded, and there's lots of bad things that happen there. But they don't really. Define the country and that's my travel style is finding these things that are misunderstood and trying to show what it's really like but doing my research not being reckless like making sure I I I understand myself exactly what's happening but then trying to show people what it's like underneath and so Fearless and Far my YouTube channel is all about that kind of travel and it's been yeah like faster 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 and then when the pandemic hit in early March I was actually in Yemen believe it or not on the island of Socotra which is A bit like Madagascar. Is that where all the weird
1: trees are?
0: Exactly, yeah. The dragon blood trees that if you cut them, they bleed red sap. It's crazy. And because these islands are so old uh, that are off of Africa, there's all these endemic species that are only found on these islands, right? Same with Madagascar, for example, with like lemurs and leaf tail geckos and things. And so we were there and I got a, a scratch on the tent at like, 3am saying oh yeah you know that flight you're supposed to take in a week and a half to leave that's canceled and the only one leaving is in three hours and if you don't leave you're going to be stuck here indefinitely because the pandemic shutting down the world and we had been like off the grid backwoods and had missed a lot of the current events that were happening and so I I had to go home I actually had broke my broke my laptop lost my wallet and the world was closing so it's like about time to wrap up this this trip for a few months Anyway, but we went back to Canada. Spent four months in on the east coast. I'm from New Brunswick, which is right above Maine, uh, in Fredericton. Actually, that's where I am right now, back home. And then, as soon as Canadians could travel to Europe, I was gone again. So that was July sixth. I took off. July second, we could travel to the EU. And again, very few people did. At least in our in our bubble of uh, of travel influencers, people weren't really traveling then. And I, I had to make a try to make a choice. I could silently sneak away um, or I could say to the world via YouTube and the social platforms like, this is what I'm doing. And these are the precautions I'm taking. This is why I'm doing it. This is why I feel it's important. This is how I'm gonna make sure I don't make my decision negatively affect other people's decisions. But if a country is open, then that's, like, then that's open for tourism. They're saying tourists come, come back. Is it unethical for me to go do that? If a country says, welcome back, you exactly. know, you have to watch a few things. You have to watch a few things. Get, I mean, you don't, I didn't have to get tested when I arrived. I didn't have to quarantine. Both things I still chose to do, uh, but it, it, it was an interesting debate. So I made some content about it as well. We both did, right? Because yeah. traveling during the pandemic was something that was possible, but a little bit controversial at the time. And even now it's still considered probably quite controversial too.
1: Yeah, it's so I love that you saw my travel update videos before (laughs) you knew who I was. And before we had this interview. Yeah, I'm still getting comments from people like don't travel. And it's irresponsible. But I'm of the same mindset as you like, if a country is open, and they put forth their entry requirements, and you can meet those requirements, I think that it's responsible if you go as long as you abide by their rules and take the appropriate precautions. And then on the flip side, there's these countries that are suffering economically because they're cut off from tourism and their lifeblood. So I do see both sides of it. What was it like? uh, Where did you first go during the summer? Which countries did you go to? And what was it like compared to pre-pandemic?
0: Right. So I flew from, so again, from my hometown here in Fredericton to Toronto and then from Toronto to Frankfurt and then um, went immediately to Poland, actually, and then spent a month in Poland, uh, a month in Romania, went over to the UK, actually, to Scotland for a week for a BBC television shoot, came back, and then did a month and a half in Turkey. Also, And uh, there was also another month in Germany there as well where we traveled around a little bit too. So a lot of that part of the world. And it, it was... I didn't know what to... I didn't know what to expect. I I knew that I was going to take the above and beyond. I was going to go above and beyond to take precautions that weren't even necessary of me just to make sure I had all my bases covered. And also, so if I was going to be showing that I was traveling, showing it, I should also demonstrating that, hey, if you know, just make good choices. And also, it's really nice to go above and beyond because you never know where your dirty feet are being tracked around, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know if the locals would be upset to see me. I didn't know if they'd be... But kind of like ugh, leper you know the foreign traveler in their homeland I, I didn't know what to expect but honestly some of the most difficult parts were going to like getting tested in like for example in Cluj in Romania and then but because we were going to go to a remote parts, so wanted to make sure that we, we were COVID negative and then going up to these remote parts and then meeting these like sweet old people um who were like with, I mean, you have a mask on and trying to keep distance and just film. And then them them like offering food and like taking you by the arm. And you're just like, Ugh. because they, 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 I don't know. that Maybe they don't have the luxury to be able to lock themselves away. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they, I don't know what the deal is. But it was, it was weird for me because I, I realized that social interaction is really important for travel. It's not just about like landscapes and mountains. It's about meeting people and having these really cool moments with the, you know, the babushka when she gives you vodka or whatever it is, or you're playing chess with the guy in the park, right? Like, and those were always a bit strange, especially myself being much more cautious than the locals often were. And then what do you do um, exactly, you know? Like, and people think like, if you're wearing a mask around them, then you think they're Dirty and sick, and it just—it got a little bit strange when you got to some more of these remote communities.
1: Yeah, and I always
0: wanted to make sure I was, yeah. So it, it, at times it was difficult, only only for that, because again, I I always love to show appreciation to people who go out of their way, and that's what travel is, especially in these more remote countries, like again, like Romania, for example, where they don't see that many tourists if you go out of outside of Dracula's castle, and and I'm always so used to really making sure people understand that I'm I really appreciate. The, the the effort the hospitality that they give me because you get so much hospitality in those places and it's just like the 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 code of travel like the, the truth of travel is is these places that maybe tourists unfriendly are always like the friendliest right yeah. um and it's really hard to have genuine human experiences when everyone's all masked up and uh, a little bit scared right or at least yeah so yeah it's actually all all,
1: hard to even communicate with people with the masks on
0: Yeah, with accents and you can't really like see their mouths and everything. Yeah, very difficult. Mm -hmm.
1: I was just saying to my bar teacher (laughs) that we were trying to talk and she's like, what? And we kept saying what over the music. And I was like, you know, I didn't realize until the pandemic how much is lost in translation when you can't see someone's facial expressions and their mouth moving.
0: No, but we're such sensitive creatures, so I was back getting my passports renewed just a few days ago, and I I wanted to get two different sets of photos because actually I have a a primary passport and a secondary passport, so I can send one away to get a visa and still travel on the other. And it's easier if I have two different photos because if I I mix up the passports once, like really bad things happen.
1: Are they both Canadian?
0: yeah, both Canadian oh, okay. passports. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, I changed my shirt and I wanted to give a... I wanted to do like a, a similar facial expression. So I tried to do it again. But I, was, I, I remember smiling, like feeling like I was smiling this like one millimeter more. And the photos... And I remember looking at my face in both photos and that my face looked so different, even though I just moved like a little bit. And I realized how sensitive we are to every small little like quirk of the, you know, the lip or the eye or the twitch like... Every little crease and wrinkle and movement means so much because that's how we communicate. Same with like chimps and some of these animals too like we're so visual and we can read even when you look at somebody you can tell if they love you or they hate you or they are suspicious just by like small little tiny things and now that's been compromised heavily compromised and it makes social interaction really especially when you have to get in the back of a car with maybe someone you don't know very well in some random street in in istanbul and you kind of have to do a judge of character quick but you can't really see them and they can't see you and it, it gets weird for sure
1: That's true. It's almost like other senses have been elevated more. And I Mm. think back to like a couple years ago, I was in Japan and I, through like a friend in Tokyo, got this recommendation for this restaurant, like the best restaurant in Hiroshima to eat. Um, I think it's called Okonomiyaki. Is that right? That um, it's like a kind of like a fried omelet with like cabbage and octopus and eel sauce or something and egg it's like a lot of different weird stuff together but it was me with this just like old lady japanese cook who didn't speak any english and then her friends and some locals and we're all just like drinking beer and she's making the food in front of us and i actually i never published this video but i took some video clips during that And we're all like laughing and communicating somehow through that like parallel universe that you communicate with people that you don't speak the same language. And I was Mm -hmm. thinking about that this year and how much different it would be traveling without having, you know, being squished into the, you know, the coffee shop, getting espresso in Italy or being like shoulder to shoulder in this little hole in the wall bar in you know, a suburb of Hiroshima, Japan, like, you know, having to socially distance in places and wear masks. It's like, it's kind of sad, but at the same time, we'll get through it. It's like humans, we get through everything. And so are you back in Canada now?
0: Yeah, I came back home to renew those passports. uh, So I had to spend two weeks in quarantine and where I'm from in Canada, it's even sectioned off to the rest of Canada. So Canadians outside of this province can't even enter this province without having to quarantine, or they, sorry, they can't enter at all. And if even if I go to the next province to come back, I still have to quarantine this province. So it's like a bubble within a bubble. And they've had very few cases here. I think they just had their eighth COVID death total. Wow. Um, and there's, there's no community spread here either. Uh, basically zero community spread. So it's, it's a different world. Uh, but everyone's still very afraid afraid. Um, but that's what happens when you watch the news all day. You know, Mm -hmm. if you, if all you see is just COVID, 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 then all you think about is COVID, 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 COVID. And then like, for example, I went into the store uh, yesterday and I walked by somebody and I maybe got a little bit too close and she jumped and like, like was just shocked that I I had walked within like, it was like within two feet of her or something. And she's, Oh, imagine living that, that, that life. Uh, I, I think as travelers, maybe our, our baseline risk is just used to being a little bit higher than normal. So we're used to having our, our foundation cracked by whatever it is. Uh, but some people don't have that. And I guess I'm not saying it's not serious and we shouldn't worry. And, and But I, I spend my life speaking about fear. And there, there's fear is this infectious poison that completely destroys your life. And we don't realize how much it affects us until it's almost too late. And I'm not saying don't worry or don't take precautions. There's many like there's many serious things that we, ha- we should take action with, but we shouldn't act with fear um, because fear is emotional. It's irrational. It's infectious. And we catch it from other people too. We catch it from the news. We catch it from bad advice. We catch it from our friends and family. And it stresses us out and it, it holds us back. And I mean, um, obviously, choosing to travel earlier this year was a controversial thing, but... Um, I I did the research and I decided that I wanted to. And I did. And I also encourage other people to, if they were interested, but to do so accordingly too. But fear is one of those things that I I feel now is is even more infectious than the virus. Um, And we're not going to see the effects of this very soon either. It's going to be a slow kind of systemic problem as well, where uh, there's going to be a lot of depression. There's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of problems resulting from this.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that because I actually just recorded a video the other day. I haven't published it yet. haven't finished editing it, but it's about kind of my reflections on the US living here this year after being Mm -hmm. gone for almost 20 years of my life. And one of the first things I noticed was the fear and the outrage. Well, I noticed like a lot of the just the stuff, right? Like the materialism and the convenience of the U S in particular, even more so than Canada. But then after that was just the like prevalence of the mainstream media and how everything is at an 11 when it comes to fear and outrage. It's like, these are the two, these are the root chakra, like lowest vibration emotions. And it's being like pumped into the the collective consciousness of the country 24-7. And so that's where people are operating out of. And it's like, let's take it down to like a five, maybe. Like, let's take it from an off the Richter scale to somewhere in the middle. And I noticed this with my friends who have been here, you know, since high school and haven't lived abroad I notice it with my family members, like no offense to my parents, but it's like I have to catch myself before I start to buy into that because we are a product in some part of our environments. And when you travel Mm -hmm. at the pace that you and I have traveled for so long, you become more objective and independent in some way because it's you're not in a place long enough for it to really impact you like if you went to australia you wouldn't pick up an australian accent you know like you would just pass through and you kind of like figure out who you are not as a reflection of where you live or what you own or what you have and you just become like you and your kind of Mm -hmm. unadulterated self but then on the extreme side when you travel Full time for so many years, you can also kind of start to lose yourself in a way. But coming back to the US and not having lived here since college really made these things very apparent to me. And even (laughs) what you were saying about how, like, not caring when stuff is uncomfortable or when things go wrong. Like, I just moved into this apartment um, over the weekend and, like, it was super dirty and, like, everything was broken and the hot water heater has been broken for the week. And I just like nonchalantly told the landlord, there's an infestation of flies. And like, it was crazy, but I've been in really way worse situations. So, and I just told him and he's like, wait, so you've been going this whole week with no hot water. And I'm like, yeah, like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was like blown away. He's like, oh, so sorry. And I'm like, no, it's no big deal. Like I take cold showers anyway. And you know, I've like lived in places with no hot water for like a year or something. Like it's not a big deal. And it's Florida. Mm -hmm. It's not that cold. But I think just like, I don't know, just kind of having this layer of indifference to like the small minuscule things and like keeping the big picture in mind. I think that travel has given me that. I don't think that I had that perspective before. And I have talked about in the podcast before that it took me a good like seven to 10 years of unlearning what I thought was true in the world and replacing Mm -hmm. it with a new paradigm that I thought was more accurate with actual reality and not with propaganda and not with my cultural upbringing and things like that. So long question, but yeah, what has your perspective been on like coming back to Canada after all of these years and seeing it from this global perspective
0: yeah so this town I'm from has maybe I think it's like 60,000 people 50,000 people I'm actually from a a suburb outside of that so there's even less here and not a lot of people travel here travel the world who are from here and just exactly like you said by traveling you you pick up things and it's like I think you're when you're born you're gifted this lens of the world right you didn't choose it you just have it like the cartoons you watch the school you go to what your parents say who your friends are And that's how you see the world. And I think a lot of people, at least this is my story, I didn't really feel like I fit in. I didn't really know. The lens I had of the world was not so clear. I couldn't clearly see my place. And that stayed with me until I started traveling. And then I realized that I can pick up little pieces of of lenses around the world. Uh, You see different religions. You see different foods. You see... Different languages and and ways of acting and and you kind of piece together the ones that fit fit best for you and you can create your own lens of the world and that does stick with you forever and then it, it, with that I was able to find myself and find my voice and find my brand and ultimately my happiness and so when I do come back it's it's uh, it's strange sometimes um, there's a, there's people here who are yeah quite stuck in their ways, and also a lot of people ask like you know how do how could you do this but like i I would have wondered the same thing because if you 're in a, in a place in a small town, for example you 're not going to meet the world traveler at the bar because the world traveler's out there traveling you 're going to meet people who are have lived there their whole lives and maybe have comfortable jobs or maybe they 're happy, maybe they 're not, but in the, the day you 're surrounded by people who all kind of think the same and are doing similar things with similar lifestyles. And they're not going to recommend you go on a solo backpacking trip to Southeast Asia for three months because they haven't done it. And all I've heard is like the negative data points of, you know, hepatitis or beheadings or all these different things. And unfortunately, that kind of news, because news is basically just... A clickbait fight. Whoever can have the most sensationalistic title gets the clicks. Get the gets the ad ad rev. At least online or the ratings or whatever it is, because we 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 draw attention. We, we we loved hearing about these stories. I think just our default programming, because humans are are we're fearful creatures. We don't have fangs or talons or wings or we can't breathe fire or spit poison, and so our natural instinct was to use our big brains and get the hell out of there uh, with our fear response. I think a healthy fear response is very human because otherwise we can't compete against some of these prehistoric monsters that have been around for, even some of them are around right now, you know what I mean? And so I think our, our, our fear system is is hyperactive, like, like pin pin drop, like super trigger happy. And because of that, we really are drawn into these ideas of like, oh, the terrors of the world. Because we, we, we used to be able to use that information effectively. Now I feel like I don't know what the default tribe size was for humans when we were living in tribes. Let's say a couple hundred or something. And if one dude gets bit by a snake, then you have like a rough understanding about like, you know, okay, one guy dies from a snake or two or five or ten. This is the risk level in this tri- this default <laughs> tribe size. But now our tribe is like seven billion and we hear everything all of the time but i still think our like lizard brain is is programmed to think on a smaller level so when we hear that there's been a tourist kidnapped in indonesia we think like i'm never going to indonesia again <laughs> for like a decade two yeah. decades right yeah because but it's 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 like i guess our risk assessment is all out of whack like how many how many millions hundreds of millions of tourists go to mexico every single year right It's incredible. Um, But we hear like one or two crazy stories and it's like still... A, a preposterously low number of anything that's going to happen. And so anyway, these news, these news articles prey on that. And then we develop these fears and then we, we spread these fears to other people. And then they, anyway, and so it's a, it's a big mess. I guess, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm really happy that I had the circumstances in my life and also some encouragement to go travel because it allows me to put this lens together. And when I, I come back here or I hear all these news stories about whatever it is happening in the world, I'm like, yeah, mm and I turn it off because it's usually people who haven't been there, who don't know anything about it, just heard a story from someone else or they're reporting it because someone told them to because it's going to get clicks or likes or ratings and it's not the real representation. Sometimes there's legitimate fears out there, but I always take it with a grain of salt. Always, always, always. And you know what? 99% of the time, it's some overblown, overinflated thing all hopped up on on you know, exaggerations or whatever that doesn't really have much truth to it in the end.
1: Yeah. I mean, I used to say even back in high school, um, whenever I read something in the newspaper, you know, back when there were newspapers, I remember saying to my dad once in the car, you know, anytime I read an article about something I know about, I realize how many inaccuracies there are in the article. And I was like, (laughs) does that mean that every article has a lot of wrong information in it. And we just don't know because we're not experts on those topics. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But we just
0: continue going forward. Like, oh, this is how life is, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) And you make such a great point with the dangerous um, concept and what's dangerous and what's not. Because one isolated incident happens in a country and then it's like, the whole world attributes that incident to that country. Like they correlate them together. It's like, oh, then let's assert that this country is therefore dangerous. Like I went to Mexico is a great example. I've been going to Mexico since I was 16 years old. And anecdotally, I've never experienced anything but like nice people and nothing's ever gone like very wrong, you know, other than like food poisoning and stuff like that. But People still ask me, like, because I do relocations to Mexico and they're like, but is it safe? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not safe if you were that guy who was going out exploring locations to film. What was that show about the drug oh, cartels? Narcos. Yeah, yeah, narcos. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. maybe something happened there, but like you're not going to be going into like Narcoville And don't go sell
0: MDMA at a nightclub either, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) you'll be okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, like 99.9% of the people in every country are like to use, what is it? Trump always says they're good people or, you know, like Mexicans, maybe some of them are good people. It's like, no, 99% of the human race is good people because we're all humans. And then there's like a few bad apples. In each country, because love of just putting distribution. Up on
0: the yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: I don't know if there even is a dangerous country. Like I would go to uh, Eastern Europe is a good example. Like in the Balkans, people are like, "Oh, aren't you afraid to go to like Serbia or Bosnia or Sarajevo?" I'm like, "You mean because there was a civil war there, like, <laughs> in like back the in the '90s?" <laughs> and they said that in Nicaragua. I lived there for a year. And I'm like, yeah, Mm. maybe it was dangerous in the 80s during the revolution, but like not anymore. But people just like time is frozen in their heads. And so they just think, well, yeah, because there was the Bali bombing, then that means Bali is dangerous from now on or something. And so do you think like how many countries have you been to and are any of them really dangerous? I mean, you've got the global peace index. You've got some countries that obviously still have like military presence and things but what's your perspective on that
0: and just going back for one second i like i like to think about it this way uh if there was you know a tourist a tourist that got shot in seattle would you still go to florida <laughs> you would yeah. like it, they're they're really far apart right um, but why do we not think that way with other countries really you know and so um but that's that's kind of how our brains work kind and of if you racist only hear about Syria I think, and if you only hear about Sarajevo once with the, the siege, it was in the 90s or 80s. Um, that's your only data point for Sarajevo, Bosnia or Herzegovina. And so then I guess that's all you have to go on, which is it's bad there. Right. But oh, my God, it's it's incredible. Like Sarajevo's so beautiful and you can still see the scars from from what happened there. But uh, the literal oh holes in
1: the wall, like they have not repaired many of the bombs and the gunshots.
0: One of the coolest things was the Sarajevo roses where the, the mortar shells would hit the asphalt and instead of repairing the asphalt sidewalk or the concrete sidewalk, they filled them in with red resin. So you have these like splashes and they call them Sarajevo roses that are filled in from the, the, the shrapnel. It's, it's, it's anyway, so crazy, crazy place. but answering your question. So yeah, um, because my travel style is a little bit different. I do, again, I don't just go to, what's the most dangerous country. Let's go. I, Look at some countries, I see the story I see I find some things to do there, and then I kind of research whether or not it's it's something that's interesting so or something that's doable so some countries I've been to just in the past year was Mauritania, which is one that's some would consider quite dangerous, I guess, but it, it was an amazing experience. was in Turkmenistan last year as well was in Pakistan, um, some would consider maybe Bangladesh a little bit rough. Uh, I was in Venezuela almost at the height of all of the the talk, the the protests and everything down there as well. But I don't just randomly show up in these countries. I I have a contact. I speak to the contact. So I had a, a, for Venezuela in particular, I had a friend of mine who had been living there for six years or five years teaching English. And he's, he's a white Canadian guy. And he takes his motorcycle and drives it around, and and um, I had the opportunity to go. He invited me, and so I talked to some friends. They're like, "You can't, you can't go to Venezuela. You can't. Have you seen the news?" But I talked to my buddy who lives there, and he's like, "Listen, man, not gonna lie. Like in Caracas, especially, it's rough. I've been biking around. I can't tell you anything for sure, but I can tell you that." it's fine. There's a few things we might have to, you know, just keep, 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 you know, watch. There'll be a couple extra police checks, but we'll, we'll have a good time and I'll make sure we, we, everything's fine. And so I went down for two weeks and saw like Angel Falls and did a little road trip around and it was like, Venezuela is one of the most beautiful countries I have ever been to out of 70 or 80 wow. uh, it is incredible like um i guess i thought angel falls was like a one-off so the h- highest waterfall in the world is like a kilometer you've seen it in the movie up but on the way to angel falls you have to take a like a f- six-hour boat ride there's like hundreds of angel falls just a little bit smaller like th- there's these beautiful table mountains and these spouts of water just falling off these tables left and right the entire way And you're like how is this not like a world-class attraction it's because of the government and, and the yeah. problems but it, it, it's it's like avatar there it's it's incredible um I couldn't I couldn't believe it
1: wow yeah Rolf Potts says that like the the bucket list destination is just like the jumping off point for the actual journey it's like you can get inspired to go see one place but then it's what you see before and after and along the way and all of the detours that really makes it special
0: Exactly. Yeah. And over and over again, when I visit these these countries that people don't go to very often, it's just incredible how much kindness and hospitality you receive. In Mauritania, we, we were receiving oh, eight to 10 invitations for tea every single day. Uh, everyone was just, like, kind of fighting over who was going to take us to, to, to have tea. And they have this strange tradition where they will pour the tea back and forth for 15 20 minutes to like build a froth up because the frothier the tea like the more important the guest is and you <laughs> always have to have three rounds of tea so it's always going to be like an hour <laughs>
1: <Anyways>. <laughs> you're like <laughs> we then have then, only so many hours <laughs> in a day
0: <laughs> and the first time you see you're like wow, this is so cool but after three days of tea it's like let's, let's move it, let's move it along <laughs> and in Turkmenistan we were we were there and um Oh, I want to go see the door to hell, this giant hole in the ground. It's a burning pit that was a mining, a Soviet mining accident from like the 80s, I think. And so it's called the door to hell because it looks like a door to hell, a big sh- burning massive crater in the earth. Only place in the world you can see something like that. And so we're there and it's like no one goes to Turkmenistan um, at all. And so we were there all by ourselves. And then a family comes of of local, local Turkmen people and it was like, you know, the grandma and the kids, and this is like about a year ago. And they set up a giant picnic, and they invite us over, and they they wouldn't let us leave. They they fed us food, and every time we tried to get up, because we were like, no, no, no. And they'd take our shoulders, put us back down, and bring us more food. And we literally had to roll our way out of there and run, because they would not let us go. It was just, they, they were just so happy to have us there and so happy to see us. And uh, because they don't get many tourists there, of course, right? What's and the food that like there? Got, it was like a lot of um, like um, like the I don't want to call it kebab, but like like the meat on a stick. I you see it a lot in uh, in the Middle East type of things, but yeah, and then rice, and they would eat with their hands as well, and it was it was really cool. But that's it. These places, these places that don't get tourists very often, really appreciate you, and it's so cool to go someplace and just like I appreciate you being there and like you know making a movie about their country and they're always so excited and they always have so many things to share and and uh, you know you go to uh, I was like compared to like a, a bike lane in Amsterdam He goes, to you go stand in a bike lane, lane in Amsterdam and we'll see how happy the people are that you're there <laughs> <laughs> but this is the yeah. exposure too many tourists right over tourism is a real thing and if you're if yeah so it, it's it's uh, that's why I love going to these countries it that really are, that off the map
1: I've actually Mm -hmm. seen Costa Rica and Nicaragua because I spent a lot of time in those countries and I've seen them change over like 10 years, like from the Mm -hmm. people being so nice and so friendly to like more opportunistic, more theft, more violence, like, I don't know, more scams. And (laughs) I don't know, same in places like Playa del Carmen that were like really chill at first. I've heard in the past couple of years, like it's Got there's been like more crime and stuff. And my ex boyfriend used to joke around. He was like, If anyone ever says my friend to you, like run the other way. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw that you were um, buried in the sand for 24 hours, or you buried yourself in this, your friends helped. We'll talk about yeah. that. Um, and that a Filipina girl walked up to you and gave you some food. Can we just talk about how nice the Filipinos are? Because I put that, (laughs) (laughs) I made one video about the Philippines and I was like, if there's one message I would like to get across, it's like how nice the people are here. And they're some of the poorest people in the world, but like so generous, so friendly, I don't know, which, which island were you on where you buried yourself?
0: Oh, my. Don't do this to me. <laughs> um, it's in the far, do I have a Philippine You have, like, behind
1: maps you? behind you. Uh,
0: Catanduanas. Catanduanas.
1: Okay. Sounds the thing very is, uh, remote. We have a,
0: a dude who plans the trips for us. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, like, one of the friends who lives there. And so he's like, all right, guys, this year we're going to go here, 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 and here, get the scooters and go. But it was, it was uh, Catanduanas is where we were.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it it kind of was. And that's what that's again, like we were there, I did this, this idea of uh, being able to challenge myself and bury myself in sand. But that's it. She comes over. She's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And she's like, are you hungry? It's like, yeah. And she's like hand feeding me like chips and things.
1: (laughs) That was awesome. Everyone should watch that video. And Uh, and all of your videos. What gave you you the idea to um, put yourself through that? I know you were talking about uh, voluntary discomfort, the Stoic principle. Stoicism seems to be something that comes up among a lot of travelers. I think in the quest to find yourself through traveling, you end up at philosophy, right? Because you learn so much about history and culture and it's like all roads lead back to philosophy, spirituality, religion, because this is like an, an existential timeless thing where humans are just trying to figure out what we're doing here. What is our purpose? Mm -hmm. And so what was your path to, um, to stoicism and how are you applying that to your modern day life of a jet setting travel host?
0: yeah well like you said uh, a little while ago about you know he didn't have hot water and it's like okay well like I'll message him and he's like you didn't have hot water for a week and it wasn't a big deal because you have there's been times you haven't had hot water for a week a month and it's like okay let's get it let's get it fixed but you don't need it and when you start cutting all these ties these things you think you need you become more bulletproof right and at the end of the day it's just all about being happy that's Kind of the point to life is if you, can, if, you can, if you can make it through your 60, 80, 100 years being happy, that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a win, right? It's not easy for a lot of people, for most of us, but that, that's what we're trying to go for here. And at least for me as well with this travel stuff, one of my, my – my, actually, my first big trip ever was to Indonesia, an island off of Sulawesi. You know, a few islands. It was called the Wakatobi um, Island Chain, but there was one we were on doing some research projects. I'm a biology graduate. And my first trip was like going with some scientists to help them, like a fresh newbie traveler, never really left North America so much before. Especially, I was in Europe maybe, but not not to the other side of the freaking planet. And so we were there and there was no water and no running water, no power and no mirrors. And we were there for three months. <laughs> And I remember, like, there was me and, like, a handful of other young students, like, 22, 23 or something from around the world. And everyone had, like, their nails done and their hair gelled and their nice new shirts and, like, you know, beach time. And everyone just kind of – it was so cool to see everyone kind of degrade into (laughs) who they actually were on the inside, right? Because you can do up all this fancy stuff and living – well, Fortunately, unfortunately, physical appearance is so, so, so important in, in the modern world. And you have to look nice, you know, if you go to a meeting and stuff. But it's not a good representation of your overall quality, like the quality that you are as a human. But you put yourself in a place with no running water, no mirrors for a few months. People, you see who people really are. And that made me realize that there's so much more to life and happiness than just, you know, making yourself look cool for your friends or for school at that point or whatever it was, right? And uh, for myself, I really grew. I uh, I didn't know, like I said, who I was for most of my life. And that was the first time I kind of started to see who I was by living in the situation where you had to fish out mosquito larva out of your water before you poured it freezing cold on your head and use the same water to brush your teeth. And you do that for a couple months and you come back and you're like, hot water's nice, but... I did three months in a, in a shed <laughs> and there's no mosquito water in this lab, no mosquito larva in this water. So it actually is not so bad. Let's get a fix, but you know,
1: it's like real life survivor. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And then, you know, you sleep on some airport floors, some play, you know, flights get canceled. You uh, get diarrhea that the, you know, all these different things that would end someone's day here, but it's just life and Again, I, I still think like being able to remain unfazed and happy and bulletproof is like one of the biggest success markers. And that's how stoicism originally entered my life. Then I heard people like Ryan Holiday and Tim Ferriss speak about it more often. I didn't know I had a name. I just knew that I felt better and more in control when I was putting myself, not always voluntarily, but now voluntarily in these circumstances because What happens? Like I buried myself up to my neck. Well, my friends did, but yeah, up to my neck in sand for 24 hours. It's one of those things where it's like, I'm not gonna die. It's gonna be very uncomfortable, but I I take these things very seriously and I'm interested in what my mind's gonna do. Like, okay, so it's gonna be uncomfortable for 24 hours. If I can make it through 24 hours of being quite uncomfortable and the boredom of just being sitting there and, you know, and all that. What can't I do? You know, if you can, if I can put up with hell for four, for twenty four hours, willingly, like when life comes knocking with its own hell, I, I know I'm better equipped to handle it. And and sometimes that could be a life or death situation. It could be an accident. It could be some kind of other stressor where you have to make a decision and you have to be able to withstand the pressure of being able to do something. Or it could just be a crappy situation at work, a crappy situation in a relationship, just life stuff. But by putting yourself in these voluntary hardships, you become pretty bulletproof. And if you can maintain that steady mast in the wind, you you can maintain that happiness, maintain that productivity, maintain that those relationships, those whatever it has to be. You believe in yourself. You believe you can persevere, and the world's you know the world's not going to come crashing down uh, around you. The most prominent example of this. Uh, <laughs> is um a couple of years ago I again because I have this brand called Fearless and Far and I told you before we started recording it's called Fearless and Far because I had a phobia of public speaking my entire life and now I have a, a YouTube channel and a television show and all these different things so I I've done the whole trajectory like I know what it's like to be blackout terrified and I know what it's like to acknowledge fear being there, but still choosing to do it anyway. And because you can never really be fearless. Like I don't ever say I'm fearless. I just say, I like fighting them. And I've realized that it can be a companion, not a, not a force against you. So this opportunity opportunity. This, this situation presented itself a couple years ago, where I was talking to a friend of mine who had done some of my tattoos and stuff, and she had got into body suspension where you suspend yourself by hooks. And I saw it and I was like, wow, what the hell is that? And I was like, I messaged her and I was like, They're like why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> and she's like, well, actually, I, we do it all the time, and it's one of the most like powerful cathartic things I've ever done, and it really helps me work through these hardships. And, and if you ever want to come, you can come watch if you'd like. And I was like, I can come watch. And she's like, you can even come do it if you'd like. It's it's safe. I mean, we make sure we have all these medical procedures, and for like bloodborne diseases, and we're all tattoo artists and piercers, so it's really really safe. And you only go a few inches off the ground, and if one, you know, nothing. nothing, nothing nothing ever happens. You can have like two people hanging on one hook, but we'll give you four or eight. And it, you know, it's very safe. It's just, we want to make sure that you can, you can stomach it. So you have to watch someone before you want to try. And I was like, Oh my God. And so here it is, Mr. Fearless and far being like, if I know I'm not going to hurt myself and I know that it's just a scary thing that it sounds like I just don't really understand it very well. And I want to be the example of doing these things that are voluntary hardship. Then Oh, I should probably I should probably do it, and so if you look, there's like a souvenir on my on my back wall a hook. of of uh, actually suspending myself. And let me tell you, I made a video about it. I posted it on YouTube. It was one of the craziest things I've ever done. But I I I understood why they do it. I don't need to do it again. Try everything once and exactly once for some circumstances. But it was really cool to tell the story and, and actually understand like, wow, f- there's a really powerful thing. And it's not just some freaky kids that have decided to do this. Like it's an, it's a practice that happened with the D- Dakota Indians in the States for a long, long time. Also, uh, there's a, some um, parts of Hinduism in India that they would suspend themselves by hooks as well. So it's been part of varieties of it have been part of our culture for a very, very long time.
1: What is Not the point of it? it like, what is the goal of the hooks, like of hanging from the hooks? What is the outcome?
0: So the, the what, what was explained to me, um, and also ex- it's exactly what I felt, is it feels like you are flying, number one. Um, number two, it feels like all of the negative energy is being pulled out of you. And I know it doesn't – that's kind of maybe like hocus pocus kind of talk, but like – just the physical feeling because no, nothing ever pulls you that way. It's an emotional, like heartstring, like deep down in your core, like never, never been touched there before feeling of this, like pulling. And it's very symbolic uh, of, of really anything you want it to mean.
1: That's um, and if cool. you go in being
0: like, I'm having these, these negative thoughts, this negative energy pulled out of me, it really feels that way. Wow, like nothing. And plus just the 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 build up and there's lots of support staff there. You have like a like um a, a coach who's there like holding your hands and like speaking to you and making sure everything's okay. There's like a support staff of like four people who actually help you do it. So it's really safe and really I don't wanna say comfortable because it's really not comfortable.
1: <laughs> but you get <laughs> but this powerful like, this kind of like boost after like a serotonin boost when you do something hard. and you just feel better after it like one of my friends we were talking the other day about how action is the antidote to anxiety and Mm -hmm. that's so true there's been like so much knowledge lost in the traditional education system or in the industrial age of humanity where there's this separation between who we are as kids And then there's like this 20 year gap or, you know, 15 to 20 year gap. And then we become adults and then we're thrust into all the responsibility of adulthood. But like we, we lose something during that time. And I really think that this is why travel is something that's so important to each person's self-development and like self-actualization. But yeah, I think that people need when the distractions fall away, you know, when you take away the busyness, the commutes, if you took away Netflix, games, all of this stuff, we don't have a connection to what it means to be human anymore in this society. And so that's where I think people find themselves through travel. And I think that's why everyone listening to this and people watching our videos on YouTube and searching for this, like, they want to have that experience to feel alive, to feel connected with other people on a different plane and to figure out who they are besides their job title or besides where they're from or where they live or whatever. And I think another thing that's been lost there that you are, I mean, I didn't think about it so much until I saw your channel and like the concept, I like heard the concept behind it, but why in our society do we think it's bad to be afraid or why do we avoid hard things or scary things? It's like everything has kind of been whitewashed down this middle path where you don't get too much happiness or too much struggle. It's like just this middle ground that doesn't really do anything for anyone. And, um, The real secret, I think, is that, you know, what Ryan Holiday writes about in The Obstacle Is The Way Mm -hmm. and what you've experienced and I've experienced through travel and hardships that have been voluntary or not, is that those hardships are like the most formative parts of your character. And those challenges are what give life meaning and what help give you a feeling of self-worth. Are we on the same page with that about the fear? Like, should we be looking for the fear? And is the fear a signal that we're on the right path? Not like abject fear, like you're actually in danger, like a suicide bomber standing next to you, but like the fear of not fitting in or going to a country that might not be safe or that the news says is dangerous or doing something that your relatives and your neighbors think is crazy. What is this about?
0: Yes. A hundred percent, and there's so many amazing quotes by all kinds of ultra successful, influential, philo- philosophical people over thousands of years, speaking about that exact thing of following this fear, chasing this fear. One of my favorite quotes is by Joseph Campbell, who says, uh, "The cave you fear to enter hides the treasure that you seek," and that is that's the story. That's the story of my life, and time and time again, people like myself or others uh, will say you you have to follow the fear compass you have to you, you have to go true north and the thing is no one does because it's freaking terrifying of course that's the whole that, that's what it is but uh li- the buddha said life is suffering whether you whether you try to avoid all suffering you're still going to suffer right like that this is how as part of being a human is suffering. And it's all about being able to deal with that and being okay with it and and being able to dance with it at at the end of the day. And if you find suffering or avoid it, it's still going to be there. So why not go out there and proactively control it and and do it yourself? And It's fear. It's essentially the same thing as fear. People don't understand the subtle ways fear m- manipulates their lives. There's like, I like to think of, a, a, of quiet fears and loud fears, where it's a loud fear is something like fear of spiders or public speaking, right? But there's quiet fears that are, that's like jealousy, which is like fearing you're going to lose something, or anger is like fear of losing control in a situation. So you have to fiercely <laughs> grab it back or whatever it be. Fear is, is really cunning and it, it manipulates a lot of things in our lives. And I get asked a lot, well, how do you know the difference between the fears you should chase and the fears you shouldn't? We know the difference deep down. Like, we know when something's stupid and reckless. If you're standing on the edge of a building, you're not going to be like, well, is this a good fear to jump or is it a bad fear to jump? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, there's some you kind of have to do research about. Like, for example, something like bungee jumping. If you use your, you know, you think about it for a second. If bungee jumping really killed people, you wouldn't be able to bungee jump, right? And also the risk of, of driving in a car five days a week for 20 years is, and dying then is much higher, like astronomically higher than dying in a bungee jumping accident. It, 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 it's, it's, just, it's a relatively safe thing compared to some other things we do. But by doing this, by doing the bungee jump or you know, asking the girl or guy out on a date or taking the public speaking classes, you do a couple of things. First of all, you prove to yourself it's not the end of the world and you look a little bit dumb. But looking dumb is the first step to being a badass at something, to being a natural. We talked about it a bit earlier. Someone's like, oh, how did you get so good speaking on camera? Wow, you're a natural. No, I just chose to do it with shaking hands, with back sweat, and, uh, you know, saddle in. And now everyone forgets I was really crappy (laughs) at it for a long time, right? And that's what it is. And people are like, oh, you're a natural. I can never do that. No, I just decided one day to say, shut the F up, to that little voice in the back of my head saying, oh, no, it's scary, and just do it anyway. Do it anyway. And it was so hard. And uh, and that's that's everyone's story with this kind of stuff. You just got to nod your head and be like, okay, fear, cool, but we're going to go anyway. Yes. And lo and behold, magic happens. That's when the doors open. And I am I am a firm believer and example of the quickest way to get unstuck in your life if you feel like nothing's working and you can't get out of your situation is to dive headfirst into the thing that scares you the absolute most. If it's public speaking, if it's asking for a promotion, if it's breaking up with a significant other or whatever it is, you want to hack your life for the better. It might not feel fantastic in that moment, but you will thank God God or whatever you believe in. Thank yourself or th- just thank the, the universe that you made that decision when you did. And it couldn't have come sooner. And like I said, I, I, I was terrified to speak my entire life. And now, now it's my full-time career. And I, I am able to travel full-time getting paid to do this only because I did the thing that I absolutely never wanted to do in my entire life. The thing I thought I was the worst at. The thing that I would literally... Blackout and not remember what I said when I was forced to do it, and have panic attacks and anxiety attacks in school, and have to leave in the middle of class because I thought the teacher sometime might call on someone to read. I I, I would just feel like I was going to pass out and I'd have to leave oh the my class. Gosh. <laughs> and now it's my job, and that's because I went directly into the thing that scared me. And okay, like that might sound a little bit crazy uh, because someone just doesn't choose to do that in one day. I had life, life came, played rough, put me in a hard spot. And I decided I I just couldn't handle anymore. Um, We also spoke a bit about the pandemic earlier and how there's two mentalities for every disaster in your life. It could be a global disaster, or it could be a personal disaster. You can sit there and you can say this happened. Woe was me? This is terrible. How could this happen? Or you can say, okay, these are the circumstances. (sighs) Let's figure something out, right? And it's always that second one that gets you to an amazing place because only with these disasters, you can break that foundation and then reset it in a different way. But you have to understand that everything in life is your responsibility to fix. It's not necessarily your fault. You can't control things. People are born different ways with different problems and different circumstances, but it's always your responsibility to fix the situation. And once you take that ownership, then you can you can change your life but it's same thing with this fear if you take ownership to that this thing you feel is holding you back and you're like oh, i have to change this and you go to these classes public speaking or whatever it is for my, my case i remember like just being so scared but now look no one even <laughs> knows you wouldn't even know if I if i didn't tell you if you like, want to know
1: if you want to know how bad we were at it, just filter for oldest videos
0: <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs> on YouTube. I leave those up there. It wasn't that But even ago. then,
0: the thing, the thing about those ones is you can just take out the bad takes. So that the, like yeah. me saying my name wrong 19 times and you pronouncing your middle name wrong, whatever you said, it's not there because you can do 19 takes or 25 takes, use the best one. And like, oh, look, look how good, look how good it is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the biggest fear people have right now is the fear of looking dumb, as you were saying, and failure, especially in the eyes of society or at their job, and then also fear of rejection in some form. But can we just reflect for a moment on how lucky most of us are that those are the most prominent fears that we have? at the height of self-actualization on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean, at least in the developed world. I mean, it's just never been like this. We have to have some perspective and some context of like how bad humans have had it throughout history, the history of humanity, like how much hardship and suffering that people have endured and how much we can endure that we just haven't been exposed to.
0: One uh, very ag- aggressive question I ask myself if I, if I find myself thinking about obstacles and not um, solutions is I, I think if, if someone broke in this room and had a pistol and pointed at me and said, you have to make this happen. How would I make that happen? And the funny thing is you can usually think of if you end those circumstances, you can usually figure out a way pretty quick about how you can make it happen. And then you have to wrestle with the idea why you're not going to do that.
1: You said something in a video you said, okay, so let's talk about your decision to quit your safe, secure job where you were doing videos for clients and do your own thing. And you asked yourself, why are you doing what everyone else is doing when you're willing to do what everyone isn't? Mm -hmm. How did you like, is that what helped you quit your job? Because a lot of people have what what's called golden handcuffs. They have a good salary. They have a good job. They've checked all the boxes or at least they're comfortable and they don't want to disrupt that comfort for the unknown. But they also know that if they don't change something, they're not going to get a different outcome. This is one of the biggest fears people have is quitting their safety and secure job for the job that they really want to do what's your advice to people that are in that situation and what, how did that happen for you? Was it eight years ago, 10 years ago?
0: Uh, yeah. Well, when I switched from travel filmmaking to this, it was like about about not even that long, like maybe four or five years uh, now. Oh. But actually I've done a lot of these, a lot of podcasts and I've never been, I've never been asked that question. And, but that moment in my life was one of the most defining, um, because I guess chronologically, did a biology degree traveled for a while backpacked in those kind of let's call them rough circumstances um, basic circumstances and then eventually fell into the filmmaking career there's more to it than that but that's that's the timeline uh, and then i hit a point where money was good and tra- i was traveling but i was i wasn't i didn't feel like i was doing my purpose i felt like i had more to give and this is only a certain point of amount of money once you have enough money like I wasn't, I wasn't like a millionaire, but like I had enough to be happy. I don't, I'm not, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm like a minimalist. If I can have enough money to do my adventures, you know, buy a new computer every now and again, get the new camera gear I need for my job, then I, like that's, that's, I'm happy, you know? Um, And so, but I didn't, I felt like I, because of this fear thing and being able to take it the whole 180, I didn't feel like I was fulfilled. And I knew that I loved eating the Spider sandwich that the dude's selling on the side of the street, for example. <laughs> I don't know the spider sandwiches, though. I did find spider cheese in Germany—little mites that ripen cheese. Do you, anyway, did but you I did eat mind.
1: those ants and the worms and stuff in Mexico?
0: Escamoles, you yeah. know. I did Mexican caviar—they call it.
1: I don't like um, it.
0: <laughs> well, I if, tried you know, it. Of, you don't don't have, like it. Yeah. Well, that's all you have to do is try it. <laughs> but like, I w- I just liked. I knew I was. I knew I was comfortable with that stuff. Like, I, I like trying those things. I liked trying things for the first time. And I liked pushing myself. And I liked camping. And I liked, you know, just finding these strange places and, and showing the world the Exploding Hammer Festival or, you know, the Bioluminescent Bay in Puerto Rico or all these these places that aren't talked about very often. And I found myself just going and doing this filmmaking career that was just, you know, this another cathedral, another national park, another Na- a cruise ship or whatever yeah, exactly the, <laughs> same, the, the same thing and everyone's like well our cathedral's the best i'm like there's a lot of there's a lot of you know a lot of nice ones but basically it was that uh, but, but then it went from like a a, a, a cons- fairly consistent income with some regular clients to nothing Just to basically nothing i mean I, I knew how to use the gear but i didn't really have a page i had a page but it wasn't it wasn't popping and there was not really much action there Um, but I had a message and I knew that I was good at what I did. I knew that I could learn the rest and it was just doing it right. And that's always the hardest part. And it it didn't just snap. One day I didn't just say that's enough poof. And whether you're working a nine to five and you're thinking about starting your own business, if you want to snap it off, you can make change happen very quickly. If you absolutely have to rely on yourself to make it make it happen. Uh, humans are extremely resourceful when, when they have to be going back to that aggressive question that I I just said, like, if you think about like life or death that way, you can work pretty hard and you can be happy and accomplished. And also realizing that everything is your responsibility. Like I said, like, is there, is there a version of you that could work on this so hard and, and make it work, become an entrepreneur, you're, yeah, you're going to say, if you believe in yourself, even a little bit, you're going to say, there's a version of me that can do that. And then you have to kind of backtrack it, right? So, you know, you know, kind of the end goal. You got to put it, so what would that person do? What would that person have to do? Again, removing yourself from it, because you're not that person yet. What would that person have to do to really make this work? Okay, so what time would they have to wake up at? Even like, what would they, what would they be wearing? Who would they hang out with? Uh, You know, what would they do in their spare time? And so you can reverse engineer what you have to do because you know what you should do but you really have to lay out the path and have some achievable goals along the way and you can cut it off right away or you can trickle it off you can start moonlighting a little bit building a website learning the skills you have to learn whether it be you know knife work if you're a chef or building a a squarespace website or whatever it is and if you're passionate about it and you have the fire it'll work and then you can make a slow transition and then a certain point when you're making enough you know, some money, you can snap it off. But one thing that's really cool though is when you put some time in and you know that things are working, it's amazing the power you feel over the decisions in your life. If you know that you've created something that could just maybe work, no one's going to really be telling you to do very much anymore because you know that there's this little thing that you could just, you know, you don't need everything else and that's a really powerful place to be in when you know you don't need and that what we've built as well—an uh, online brand—is empowering because you know that. I uh, guess sure you have. You know, you have to uh, you have a very you know, re- a reasonable requirement to produce content and, and um, inspire your fans and, and everything like that. But you don't really need every brand deal. You can pick and choose, and you can because you've built something that that can last, and uh, it took a lot of work. But you can say yes, and you can say no, and sometimes no is the best thing to say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to say no more often. And you say mm-hmm. yes. And, and there's this thing called fuck you money, which I don't yeah. know who coined this term, but <laughs> it was like before I found out what stoicism was and before I found out what digital nomads were, it's like there's <clears throat> these universal truths that, that we all kind of have from birth about these like instincts that we have. And then there's also this concept of fuck you money that everybody gets because it's like, that's when you're just doing you. In the world mm-hmm. like no one can buy you because you don't need anything from them and like you don't need them to eat or whatever it's like when you have when you're a minimalist like us when you're a traveler you're a minimalist you're nomadic whatever you don't you say experiences over possessions <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i wrote this down we'll talk about this in a second you said creativity over conformity curiosity over compliance and experiences over possessions. When you're living your life like this, people can't buy you. So it's like I get Mm -hmm. these emails all the time from people and I'm just like, no, no, no. And then there's like two or three things per year that I'm like, yes, because Mm -hmm. I already use that product. I've already talked to people about it. I've already been promoting you guys for free. So like it's a great fit for us to collaborate on something. But that is such a great feeling to... For everyone listening to recognize that they are, they can be self-sufficient in case they didn't know. Like you can be, anyone can be because everyone has the capacity to act and everyone has the capacity to learn. And that was that other thing that somehow got lost along the way in the traditional education system is like we became bred to believe that we were dependent on this system to provide for us, that we had to clock in to get this mm-hmm. paycheck or else we were at risk of whatever, financial ruin or despair, I don't know. And so when people follow what they want to do and and believe in themselves to be that person and and to learn and to know that they have the choice of what they want to do. There's things that you're good at naturally, but there's also things that you aren't <laughs> you know good at. Like like I recognize I'm not very good at math, but I'm sure if I tried hard enough, I could be a mathematician, but it would be a big struggle and it's not, it's just not my thing. And, mm-hmm. but there's other people out there that that comes naturally to. And so I think if people just think about if they could be good at whatever they wanted, what would they want to be good at? And then work backwards from that. Like, what do you have to do to be a good writer? What do you have to do to build an online business? What do you have to do to be a filmmaker? A biographer, Mm -hmm. like you have a biology degree. Neither of us went to film school Mm -hmm. and neither of us have connections in Hollywood or something. We just decided this is what we wanted to do. We were passionate, not just about traveling, but about sharing how to travel with people. And then we just Mm -hmm. did it eventually after many, many years of like Mm -hmm. pumping ourselves up and like trying to convince ourselves to act And that's what I told some of my patrons this year because they're like, oh, why haven't you been traveling? And I just said, I feel like it's more fulfilling for me to stay home and create content about how other people can travel than for me to actually be traveling right now. Not that I couldn't do it at the Mm -hmm. same time because I, I can do that too, but it's just like that was what I was feeling. It's like you and I feel so strongly about what travel does for humans on an individual basis and then therefore the world and what that ripple effect is when everyone has that increased empathy, when everyone's ex- choosing experiences over possessions, like what is the ripple effect of that? you know, it's infinite. I don't know where I'm going with this, but basically mm-hmm. I'm saying that that I agree with you on all of that. And I, I like your example of going from biology degree to freelance filmmaker to kind of self-employed content creator who's now on the BBC with your own show and you have all of these other things that came out of it that just never would have happened if you hadn't have acted. Like you could still be working on a film crew filming cathedrals, getting that paycheck We wouldn't be having this conversation. Millions of people wouldn't have seen Mm -hmm. and been inspired by your videos. And it's just like when people follow what they're supposed to be doing, what they know inside they're supposed to be doing, that has such a major impact that you can never predict what it's going to turn into.
0: And taking it back even a a step before that, there is a a very, let's say there's a a hundred alternate dimensions out there. In 98 of those, I'm, I'm still the guy who didn't do what scared him most. That's what most people do. Most people, if they're scared of something, they never do it. That's a very high probability that I never would have done that. And I just think, like, what if, I, what if I actually never decided to take those public speaking classes knowing that I was so scared? I don't know what the hell I'd be doing now. I, 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 I have no idea. And that was really like almost a coin flip because I almost didn't go. Like I, I was like, I parked and I was in the driveway of the place. I, did, I was like sat there for five minutes. So like, are we, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I kind of closed my eyes and, and walked in. But I want to go back just one quick second to this the fuck you money thing because that's a really important idea that people need to understand too is that doesn't have to be like you can buy a yacht. You know that all that is is like there was a point that I I know I wanted to make this work and I I knew that it was important and I knew I had to go to Toronto for example so I got the shittiest hotel in Toronto I had to share a bathtub with a seventy year old man <laughs> because my place did not have a shower his didn't either and there was no shower in the actual communal bathtub so it was me a 70 year old man. And some guy who just used it for trash storage, who used to drink on the front porch. There was three of us there all sharing one bathroom with no shower. So this old man would, would take a bath. I would go take a bath after him. And then I'd go back to my apartment with cockroaches in it and record my videos because that's what I needed. I, kn- I knew I needed to be in Toronto. I knew I didn't have that much money. And I had to spend it on camera gear, but I had fuck you money then. Mm-hmm. I my my expenses were I was eating like oatmeal and boiled eggs and like beans and like, but I knew if I did that, I would have enough to have to be able to make my own decisions. And that was fuck you money. Oh yeah, it's not. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be like luxury cars and 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 living this. It can be as simple as that. Just being able to reduce down your necessities to a bare minimum to know that you can be able to raise them in the future but again that ties very easily into stoicism as well being able like i've lived off beans and i've i've slept in a hammock in a jungle for two months in the amazon covered in bugs and cockroaches <laughs> and i mean while that wasn't ideal and i didn't know they were there when i moved in <laughs> and signed the one-year lease <laughs> wait you
1: signed a one-year lease in a hammock
0: <laughs> no 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 this is a this oh, is a oh, oh, uh, oh, other, other, other place. place in canada <laughs> Yeah, 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 uh, and as as many times as I as I called to have them anyway, it just was a, anyway. Um, but I, but that's what I need to do to make it work. Like and that, but I had I had lived, I had chosen to live in worse than that. I'm not. I wouldn't choose it again. Um, but sometimes you have to just. Suck it up and do what you have to do because you're thinking in the future. And with stoicism and this voluntary hardship thing, you can callous yourself to these minor, insignificant things that really are inconsequential. Yeah, so the water's cold. So there's a you know a couple extra roommates, or there's no <laughs> actual shower. <laughs> but you know that you know I'm here to get this thing done, and I have a, a bigger aspiration. Um, and boom, and that's, that's what happens. And that, that's what fuck you money can look like too, is that. Again, not as glamorous as the Ferrari and, yes. and all that, but it, but there's, there's levels of it for Thank sure. Thank you right? for
1: making that distinction because I don't want people to think that that's what it means. It just means that mm-hmm. that you can't be bought because you're okay with whatever standard of living that you have to have to make mm-hmm. it happen
0: and I could go find the projects I wanted to do and not have to say yes to all this other bullshit that was just going to distract me.
1: I would Mm -hmm. happily eat oatmeal for the next five years if I could just do my videos. I don't care. Hey, it's Kristen. If you're liking this episode, I would be so appreciative if you could help the podcast grow by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform or by sharing the wealth. Send this episode to someone you think it might inspire or share it with your friends on social media. Badass digital nomads wouldn't exist without listeners just like you. Thanks for your support. And now back to the show. So I've seen you talk about this concept of travel over tourism on social media and in your YouTube videos and also that luxury tourism doesn't really interest you. Can you speak to that a bit?
0: Basically what spurred that is because uh, I had just finished this train hopping experience early this year in Mauritania, which we slept on iron ore while rocketing like 60 kilometers, 70 kilometers an hour through the Sahara Desert for, for like, yeah, 20 hours, something crazy, and had a great time. I didn't sleep much, <laughs> but it, and uh, wasn't comfortable the entire time. But left to being like, "What the hell was that?" And it was so cool. But I was talking about um, luxury travel and travel in general, and I got a Instagram DM from somebody um, when I was speaking about just travel, and and, and their and they I realized that they didn't really they were confused, and so we t- talked a bit more. And this this poor girl, and I I'm I realized it's probably so many people out there who she's, I think she's quite young, maybe like 16 or 17 or something thought that travel was only the floating brunch in the, in the flower petal bath overlooking the jungle in Bali, only the fancy white sheets hanging in the jungle mist. Like that's all the travel she ever saw because when do you ever see anything else on Instagram? No, all you do, all you see is this like supreme luxury yeah, travel. And point. she, so she was like, getting all this money saved, like thinking that she had to go spend thousands and, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for one of these getaways to travel. And that, it hurt me <laughs> because if you, like the flight, okay, the flight's a little bit of an unavoidable expense. There's ways you can make it cheaper, but like that's that's it. But once you're someplace, man, you. Can, I met a guy just in Turkey last month who was living off of five British pounds a day and he was making it work. Like, and he could do it. In Turkey. And Turkey's not, not, not that expensive, but it's not the cheapest country either. Like and oh, um and that's really what it is, because you find yourselves in these situations that might not be comfortable. You meet really cool people, you have hilarious stories. Like you're not gonna have an amazing story going to an all inclusive Resort, you know, That's you know, someone so might drink true. too much tequila and, and fall asleep in the pool. <laughs> um, but you're going to have a better experience: couch surfing, backpacking, staying in hostels, meeting people, staying up late, going skinny dipping, or, or whatever it is. Right? Those are the memories and the people and everything that you're going to remember most. And there's nothing wrong with these. With these all-inclusives, for example. It's just different. It's not really travel. You are going to this bubble, this controlled bubble where everything is kind of fake. And, yeah, and it could look like authentic, but in the end of the day, it's it's a contained, created experience for you. Yeah. And if you're going just to blow off some steam because you got some crazy like Wolf of Wall Street type job or whatever, and you just want to take the family and not worry about planning or food, like that's, that's, what, that's perfect for that. And there's a place for that. Yeah. But if you're looking to actually grow and see the world and and get to know yourself and have good stories that's that's not it It, it's a whole different experience and i guess i used to judge people from going to like resorts for example because i'm like i should go backpacking but it's it's good to go some people never go but i think it's good to go and maybe take an excursion off the resort and then maybe next time think about something like a gap adventure or g adventure tour or like a intrepid Travel Tour, Kentucky, and kind of like move it up the chain. Because anybody out there solo traveling will tell you that it's like the best thing they've ever done in their entire life. And you can still use like Uber, Uber Eats, Airbnb, like these websites are all <laughs> over the world. So you can like book on Expedia and you can do all this like from when, even like when you land, like. It's so funny. Now I'll I'll book flights like two days before, get there, find a hotel like three hours before I have to check in, book it, and just kind of wing it for the most part.
1: Yeah, I would. Did you see that David Attenborough, his message, I guess, before he dies, message to like save the planet? Yeah. So that really resonated with me. But also what he said about how the world isn't wild anymore. Like how the wilderness is shrinking so much. And even when he was 20 years old, there was already so much less wilderness. Like the industrialized world had already taken over back in like the 1950s when he started traveling. And that made me really (laughs) sad to think about too, to think that there's so like little wildness of planet earth left. And I think the more, obviously we can't, kill the planet more by everyone increasing air travel like and we have to be sustainable about it but it helps when people get to see what it is that's leaving like what it is that's shrinking whether it's animals going extinct or the rainforest burning in all these different countries or the the trash on the islands in Indonesia and everywhere it's like when we people see it up close and personal it like becomes very real. For them.
0: I agree with you. I, I think I think it's personally I think it's short-sighted to see it as increased air pollution from travel because you t- yeah someone light someone's life changes and they, the 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 decisions they'll make for the rest of their life will change after that trip and you have to be able to see it. Humans aren't very good about making choices about things we don't know or understand. You know, like we our lives are so busy with uh, personal problems and and everything else. There's not there's not enough room to add something unless we go there and we see like the plastic pollution on the beaches in the Philippines in Indonesia that's like literally two meters of just of miles and miles and miles, or the rainforest you see like the the palm oil plantations in in Borneo just like endless 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 and it's really easy to be like hey you guys stop cutting down the forest but no it's us yeah we're the ones who have an unquenchable thirst for palm oil and all the the products we eat and use i refuse to buy anything
1: with palm oil in it like try finding almond butter with no palm oil okay i guess i'm not eat i'll just eat almonds (laughs) like i'm not gonna buy it yeah check the ingredients people the thing is it's
0: it's I was when I was there last year. It's literally the only, the best option out there. There's no other option that we can use. It is the like the highest producing plant per acre of oil we need for this purpose. And it's not, they're not making it for themselves. They're making it for the Western markets yeah. who can't stop eating these things, right? And only by going and seeing that and learning and, and about the world, then you can come back and be like, well, actually maybe like eating a hamburger every weekend or three times a week or a steak like, three times a week is not a good thing for the world because oh my God, the Amazon and also like palm oil is a really big problem. And, and, and also plastic. Like I remember that beach we saw in the Philippines like these things because here all these problems just kind of disappear like we live in you know anything that's all the mess goes away right for the most part someone's there cleaning it up for us you got to see the mess and then you'll you'll make better choices and and that's what travel does there's no other way to do it and watching it in documentary is not the same going there and wading through plastic or seeing just the endless fields of just a monoculture is is heavy heavy stuff right it's
1: crazy too like when i lived in costa rica i used to drive by this palm oil plantation and i always wondered what were all of these rows of palm trees doing there and I did, had no idea until watching that documentary. I was like, oh my God, that's what it was. And Costa Rica was being deforested. Next, I wanted to get into some of the ways that you deal with the negative or let's say more challenging aspects of travel. One of the biggest things that people ask me about is loneliness while traveling. So I know you've touched on like feeling discomfort and that everyone has these universal feelings. You can, you can be lonely In any situation but how do you deal with that loneliness that comes when you slow down your travel pace and you actually feel it sometimes
0: Mm, that's a great question uh well the car one of the costs of this life is not really having you can't go out for beer with the boys or a wine night with the girls like they're you might you have friends but they're everywhere yeah right they're not with you and you can always go meet people, right? Uh, and, and hang out, but they're not, it's not like, it's not like the, you know, the soul group yet, you know, like there's, there's, it's, it's really comforting to have like a group of friends that you can all keep track of each other, grow up together. And we all have that growing up, but with this lifestyle, you, you don't really have that as much and you can Skype and, and stuff, but it's not really the same. Yeah. And also you miss like weddings and babies and birthdays and and that kind of stuff people you, stop inviting me to
1: those things
0: exactly because they just, just always assume you're not there
1: yeah
0: even if you could be but they just are they, they forget that they forget to invite you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not because they don't like you but because you, you they just you know you're never there to invite and so they yeah, yeah. one thing that i started doing and um, was i had an activity that i, I liked and it was jujitsu so it's jujitsu is kind of like Uh, martial art where it's all about like, um, like chokes and and things. And it's a really cool community of people. And so I was traveling around and doing that in different cities. And when you go to these activities, it could be breakdancing, it could be jujitsu, it could be fencing, it could be basketball, there's always like groups and communities doing these activities. And for me, it's been a really fun way to do something I'm like trying to learn, or maybe I'm already pretty good at it. Um, but also like meet some cool local people because at the end of the day, like traveling is all about connections. And if you show up and you don't even have to be good, show up, put a smile on your face, goof around a bit, try your best uh, and you'll automatically make friends. And maybe you go to a couple different sessions and you go for a a beer or some drinks with with some of them. And that's a really good way to meet some local people. Yeah, and also get rid of the, the feeling of being alone a little bit. I like it most of the times, but if I stay alone for too long, this like this this kind of like wave of apathy that starts to creep in sometimes and i have to go out and, and, and be a little bit social i can't just work all of the time because then why am i even traveling yeah you know what I mean? but for me finding those activities and going out and meeting people that way has been really really beneficial also i'm a big proponent of this thing called travel massive i'm not sure if there's still meetups now but it's a group that they're all across many cities in in the world usually they meet up um like near the end of the month or maybe check your local city and it's just people who are in the travel industry it could be backpackers could be travel agents could be bloggers could be video whatever it is and you just hang out and kind of talk shop and sometimes the coolest thing is just to meet up with other people who are on the same wavelength have a couple too many drinks and just talk shop for us it's like talking about podcasts and videos and nomad life the good stuff the bad stuff but it's just cool to be able to relate to people and often like on the road people like again talk about loneliness and solo travel but like Time and time again, I've met, met people for an evening or a weekend that I connect more with yeah. than somebody that I, I knew my entire childhood. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's crazy because you're just at the same spot and at the same time. You think the same way and you can have these like deep, meaningful conversations and connections with people you barely know. But like they just get you. And you can know someone for <laughs> 20 years back in your hometown or something and, and be best friends since five, but still not really quite resonate the same way.
1: Yeah, it's like you go deep so fast with people, especially when they're they're also solo traveling. You just yeah. kind of glaze over the small talk and get right, <laughs> get right into it. And before you know it, you're skinny dipping at five in the morning. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's it, though, right? Yeah, you got some good stories.
1: Yeah, and and there's this like this weirdness too that I've noticed coming back to the U.S. Kind of the corporate America professionalism that seems quite foreign to me because I've never worked Mm. in like a corporate environment. And you can also see it on Twitter and on LinkedIn. It's Mm. like America is like LinkedIn in real life. And you can kind (laughs) of sense that. And it's just kind of like this weird, very polite fakeness, but kind of posturing and like social status signaling and networking at the same time. It's like this really weird blend. But when you meet those people, as their real selves when they're out on sabbatical for three months. It's a totally different person. (laughs) Like I've met people in a different country and I connect with them on social media and then I see their LinkedIn and I'm like, is that you? You know, we were like (laughs) popping bottles of champagne in the intersection in Shibuya and Tokyo. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so I think that one of the things that we'll see fall away after the pandemic And with more people in this kind of work from home isolation, but then being able to be more mobile and social traveling is just allowing people to be more themselves and like not have to keep up with the Joneses as much, not having such a big wardrobe of like business clothing or business casual or whatever. So there's a lot of things that you have done. I'll let people go to your YouTube channel, which is Fearless and Far to to watch more videos but just like some of the things that i'm seeing here are mexican fireworks tattoos battle of the oranges cambo oh we didn't talk about psychedelics we'll do that another time baby jumping festival (laughs) (laughs) there's so many things like haunted castles Okay, I can go on, guys. There's a Germany's peeing tree, a a millionaire's (laughs) abandoned fairy tale castle, exploding hammer festival. Okay, you've done so many cool things, but (laughs) has there ever come a time where you thought, I think I've pushed it too far or where you regretted an experiment or a decision or a video or that you truly felt like your personal safety was... Very in danger
0: I, I some of the inventions on there that are someone could, I get accused of being a bit reckless at times but people anybody who who knows me especially people who have traveled with me know that I meticulously research and plan and over plan and I, I another aspect of stoicism is like disaster planning like planning for the worst but expecting the best yeah like just fear planning or whatever it's called fear setting
1: fear setting and
0: so I always think about it that way it's like do I really understand what's happening here? how can I prepare if things go wrong and I I, I make a plan and so when I come into these things that some think are crazy often they are crazy but like not if you really understand how it works what's going on all this kind of stuff And, and that allows me primarily to be safe and number two get some really cool content that no one's done done before and so one of the Most one of the situations I was in where I felt like I'm in over my head was the uh, you had mentioned the Mexican fireworks festival. So there is once a year, there's a one week long national pyrotechnics festival in Mexico. And it is about as safe as you'd imagine a pyrotechnics (laughs) festival to be in Mexico, which is not safe at all. (laughs) (laughs) And the 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 main event on the last night is called the Bulls of Fire. And so, you know, the the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain, right? Dangerous festival. So same idea, but instead of real bulls, they make these metal rebar framed bulls, fill them full of like model rocket engines and industrial grade fireworks, light them on fire and then run them into the crowd. And not once, not twice. They start at about 5 p.m. and go into about 5 a.m. So it's 12 hours. While drinking alcohol while drinking alcohol, and again, with explosives and being pushed at you by other people who are drinking alcohol. And I I got some incredible video footage that night. But it was absolutely chaotic. And they they all a lot of them jump in the flames and fire and, and fireworks to like cleanse their spirits and stuff for the next year. It's really like, a really cool thing. Uh, a, lo- a lot of people kind of sit in the back and just watch, but there's still you still got to dodge little fireworks and things. But I wanted to go into the fray because there was no fo- no previous footage of like anybody in the fray, and so I had like a GoPro and a glide cam, and I really geared myself up and like spoke, went with a local guy. We like spent some time like f- doing. Like, how could I film this well? Uh, and I didn't drink a drop because I knew that uh, like there was just so many things that could go wrong, and I needed to be Agile and fast and, and aware to be able to be safe, but also get some good footage. Uh, and I th- that was all great. And so while <laughs> there was chaos all around me, I did get some good footage. I, I, I understood enough kind of what was going on. I was in a, I was safe enough even though I saw people with like burnt eyes and scars in their skin. And, and there's actually a little hospital tent set up on the side because people get really hurt and oh, people do know. die. And how people normally die is, um, they, and I saw, I saw a dude, I was filming him and I filmed this guy and I don't know if it's my, it's my fault or not, but Oh my God, I hope he's okay. But I was filming him and he, he had no shirt on. He had this like skull mask thing on and he's like, yeah. And it's like bulls exploding behind him. And I'm like, Cool. And like, let's go. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Mexico. And I was like, go, move. And he was just like still like staring at me yelling. And the camera was down. And I was like, bro. And I went to go grab him. And the, buck, the bull hit him from behind. And the bull fell over and the fire. And and I, that's, that's how people die in the festivals oh because they don't pay God. attention. They're drunk. They get hit by a bull. The bull falls on them. And then they just get torched or something. And I this was
1: a real bull or the metal one?
0: Metal bulls. There's okay. no real bulls. These are all just like metal <laughs> so, <laughs> metal rebar and full of fireworks. What if Thank they God also had
1: me? real bulls? Right <laughs> yeah, I've seen <laughs> that would
0: be even crazier.
1: I've seen people in Costa Rica like jump in with the bulls and the the ring, whatever they're doing, like the rodeos and stuff. Like people die mm-hmm. that way every year.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a
1: lot. That's a stupid way to die. So I saw this guy get
0: run over and I hope he's okay. Um but uh, but i mean i i at least i i was stone stone sober and i i felt like i i couldn't control what was happening but i understood what was happening and i knew like to keep an eye out and knew where the bulls were going to come from
1: mm-hmm.
0: then i got hit in the chest with a tequila bottle from like halfway across the square so i'm here filming and this crack right in my sternum uh-huh. like a half bottle of tequila and I was just stunned. Like, luckily it missed my camera. Luckily it missed my face.
1: Yeah. And I was
0: like, whoa. And like, that's something I absolutely have no control over. Like, I can't be aware of that. It, it, it's like a gunshot or something, right? And so I was like, it was getting a bit late. And so I was like, okay. And I was getting one more shot. Then I took another beer bottle to the back of the shoulder. And I was like, we're done. <laughs> we're, we're going home. Yeah. Because one of those, the back of the head, imagine getting knocked on con- Like if you would have taken a tequila bottle from, you know, like 20 yards away You'd be knocked unconscious or yeah. broken face. It would, it would. It would be an absolute disaster. That's so at that point, I, I was out.
1: And I, I your could, stuff, <laughs> put... <laughs> like you would have just been there. Like people would have just taken the cameras and run away. Like you, you know, like
0: it, it was a mob. Um, yeah, or uh, yeah, yeah. So, or if it would have hit my camera, it would have destroyed the camera too. So I saw I was, a yeah, car wreck
1: once that people went and stole the stuff from the car, the wallets off the people. That were like oh, dying. So, I was like, it's like the most horrible so thing ever. disturbing. Yeah. So you can, <laughs> you knew how to be careful. Um well, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Well, what is um what is a country? You said you've been to about eighty countries and you've been to some pretty rogue, uh, remote places. But what is a, a place that you really liked? I know you mentioned Mauritania, but another country that you think is really underrated that um surprised yeah. you.
0: Mauritania is not an easy one to go travel to. There's like Zero tourism infrastructure there, absolutely zero. Same with Socotra, a beautiful place. Um, It's it's, you're you're camping basically uh, the whole time, which is cool. But like one place that I was at uh, about a year ago, actually, that no one goes to. At least I'd never heard anybody going there before we went. It was Oman, oh, and um, no one ever talks about Oman. Really? It's in the Middle East, like uh, maybe because it's next to Yemen and next to Saudi Arabia that people are kind of like just assume that whole part of the world's bad. But like that country was so beautiful and everyone was so friendly and it was so safe. And for some reason, everyone spoke English. Like it's very Arabic, like very conservative, like burqa women with just like, like completely covered with just a, like, yeah, just like exactly like completely covered. A very conservative um, Muslim country, but so friendly and so beautiful. And we did a road trip up the coast, my girlfriend and I. And it was like, it was unbelievable. One of the best trips of my entire life. It it was a little expensive, but not 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 too bad. But like I would go back, I would recommend anybody go there uh, in a heartbeat. There was very few tourists there. Again, like just big open arms everywhere we went. And uh, it, was so, it was so cool. Yeah. Nice. Oman.
1: And what is the country that you um keep going back to over the years that you kind Mexico. of feel like oh Mexico
0: Mexico and the Philippines well, Philippines Indonesia there's two places in this world that I've been to that consist that consistently surprise me and as we've talked about like I like to find the weird stuff both of those countries have endless weird strange <laughs> fascinating things and I try to dig it up. And every time I go dig up some, I find even more. I find even more and more and more. For example, I was there and we were, I was trying to find some uh, spot to drink pulque. Pulque is like this fermented sap drink that they have to use like a paint stirrer to stir because it's so thick. And it was like the the Aztec drink of, of like the emperor's, this big frothy mug of like fermented cactus sap, with like a shelf life of two days. Then this was like the, the drink of all like Mexico until about like the 40s or something until the beer companies came in. And it was like the same kind of like drink where like, you know, after after work with the boys kind of thing. And then the beer company saw this like product, local product in their niche, and they're like, hmm, let's start a disinformation campaign saying <laughs> that they ferment them in human poo barrels and sell our beer in its glass bottle as a health beverage. And they did that. They pumped in like a million bucks or several million bucks into this disinformation, straight lying campaign saying how this national drink pulque was actually like fermented in poop barrels and how beer is healthy. And they almost devastated it completely. It's only these small little pockets that still drink pulque. So we were trying to find that. And then I found out about this place that was called the Nest of Quetzalcoatl. And Quetzalcoatl is the the snake god, the wind serpent, like the primary god of the Aztecs. And this guy who was an organic architect made an Airbnb slash like organic garden complex of this giant snake going through this beautifully sculpted garden, eating like a building and you can stay in it. And it's the most crazy thing I've ever seen in my entire life. This big rainbow feathered serpent that's like, as big as a city block with like houses built into it. And you can, you can stay in
1: it. Okay. Like we're only... going to need to link to that in the show
0: notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only, and only in Mexico and the Philippines is the Philippines, Indonesia, that like archipelago over there, constant surprises of things that are world-class attractions that nobody knows about. Uh, and so uh, those two countries, I, I always find a lot of surprises in. What's your and favorite I think both...
1: uh, neighborhood in Mexico City?
0: I, um, I, when I lived there, I was in Roma Sur, but uh, I always in like Roma and Condesa. It's just so beautiful there. So I nice. wouldn't think that a city with 20 million people would be so nice, but I like, I fell in love with it immediately, immediately when I was there.
1: I totally yeah. want some carnitas. <laughs> <talk Yeah. now. laughs> Sorry, I cut exactly. you off. What, what else were you going to say about Mexico? Oh, Mexico, Indonesia, and Philippines.
0: Yeah, yeah, Mexico, and like the history there is so cool, right? Like, even the history of Mexico City is really, really cool. They have like the flag, which is the like the the, the, the red and the green and the white with the eagle eating the snake. Yeah, and do you know the story behind their flag? It's so it's so crazy. I didn't
1: know there. Was, I guess there has to be a story, but I had, I had no idea.
0: So these these local. Tribal people, the uh, the Aztecs, were traveling around and they were looking for this new place to build their like their big city, right? And so, in some spirit quest message, the the, the, the the one of the gods came and said, "You will build your city where you see the eagle eating the snake." And they're like, "Okay, so we'll know the location for <laughs> no our new to city."
1: Sell. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so they're, they're traveling all across like central Mexico and this is big lake. And they go to like paddle across this big lake and there's an island in the middle and on a cactus on the island, there's an eagle eating a snake. And they're like, shit here. (laughs) And so they built Mexico city in a lake because that's where the eagle was eating the snake and so the entire like valley all like it's all like the the foundations the buildings are all weird and there's still like parts where there's like these canals in the south that are p- part of the old lake they just slowly filled it in over thousands of years
1: that is and yeah wild. that is the isn't butterfly effect in real life <laughs> like this one yeah, story yeah. turned into the most populated city on the planet or was yeah it's crazy isn't it crazy <laughs>
0: <laughs> of all the places for it to be uh, in the middle of a lake. So
1: inconvenient. Yeah, the, I've seen some of the, um, you know, like they'll put like the sculpture of like the Virgin Mary or something and they'll build a monastery uh-huh. around it because somebody <laughs> saw something in that spot. Yeah. And they're like, damn it. Now we got to climb this cliff. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's it, why Machu but... Picchu is there. Like someone yeah. saw something and they're like, are you serious? We gotta it's the llama eating the yellow
0: flower like we saw in the prophecy.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay. Well, what are your, um, what are your plans for 2021 and where can people follow your crazy adventures?
0: I am fearless and far across the board. The name is Mike Corey and adventures. I'm going down to Chile for 10 days. We're doing like a North to South tip-to-tip trip with BBC, and then I'm going to Kilimanjaro to hike to the top.
1: Well, I'm down to collab in some country somewhere and eat some spider sandwiches.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll make us some. How's that? It's different if I make make us some.
1: (laughs) You have the experience, so (laughs) chase it with a bottle of tequila. Okay, it yeah, well, kills all the germs. Thanks so much, <laughs> Mike, for coming on. And thank
0: you so much. All right, thanks. That was awesome.
1: Thank you so much for listening. And remember to leave a review for the podcast wherever you listen. And share this episode with someone you think it might help. And to further support the podcast, plus get tons of access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content, consider becoming a Patreon patron. For just $5 per month, you can enjoy early access to preview my YouTube videos, get exclusive patron-only posts and personal updates that I only share on Patreon, join my private monthly live streams and live Q&As, and get behind the scenes access to private, unlisted live podcast interviews or Zoom video recordings that are only available to my patrons. You also get the ability to vote on upcoming videos and podcast guests and can submit your questions for our guests directly. You'll also get discounts on merch and swag and many more surprises on deck throughout the year. And again, you can become a patron for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash with Kristen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash with Kristen. K-R-I-S-T-I-N. And thank you for your support.